All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Kabbalah Explained Simply. Our topic today is spiritual genes. Welcome, everyone. Uh, if you're just tuning in, let us know where you're watching from. When I'm looking that way, I'm looking straight into the chat to see what's up there. I'm already seeing uh, some of the friends here, friends, viewers uh, tuning in. Let us know where you're watching from. Uh, my name is Joseph, and I'm broadcasting to you live from Israel. Uh, I'm a senior instructor and creative director at CubU. CubU is our online education center dedicated to teaching the authentic wisdom of Kabbalah and the science of connection that originates from Kabbalah. Today's topic is spiritual genes. We're going to understand what are spiritual genes and where do they come from. And do we have them or not? What are they shaping us into? What are, where, where are they taking us? So we're going to get into all of that. And um, as always, if you have questions, please throw them into the chat. I will, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that today I'll be able to stop uh, more than once for taking questions and I'm really looking forward to your questions so definitely go ahead and just send anything you think uh, you want to know in relation to the topic and we have Linda and Ruth today behind the scenes helping us they'll collect the questions and send them to me and uh, this way uh, we'll, be we'll be able to answer as many as possible so spiritual genes what are they where do they come from and where are they taking us that's what we're going to get into today, coming up right after this. So, less than 70 years ago, humanity has discovered DNA. DNA is essentially that fundamental code that is common to all of life, all of biological life, each and every organism that exists on this planet, whether it's a plant or an animal of any kind, ultimately there is a fundamental code in it that is made of four chemical letters, we can call them, A, G, T, and C. They, they represent... Um, nucleobases, which are nucleic acid bases. Um, I believe their name is adenine and guanine and cytosine uh, and thymine. And so in any case, these act like four chemical letters and they make up the script that builds the entire organism, the script that determines the growth, function, and reproduction of all organisms it comes down to that code genetic code so nature has encoded information on the development of life into every organism that exists so in our case for instance our genetic code holds the information about our the, the color of our eyes or our skin or our hair or our height or our facial features and beyond that, how much we are prone to one or a different or, or other kind of disease. Our personality traits can also be traced to our genes. And so that is already something that we know for not that long, just less than 70 years ago, as I said. The question we want to ask today is, did nature also encode information about our spiritual development as individuals and as a collective, into something that we can call spiritual genes. In other words, are there spiritual genes just as there are biological genes? Kabbalah says, yes, there are. And therefore, the question we want to get into, if there are spiritual genes, then we want to know what exactly are they, where do they come from, and where are they taking us? So, we're going to deep dive now. So, fasten your seatbelts. So, to answer this, to answer what spiritual genes actually are, we have to go deeper. 
than where we are right now. We have to go a little bit behind the scenes of our entire material reality. So everything we see around us, um, be it trees and plants and minerals and rocks and animals and other people, when we look up and we see the sun or the moon or other stars, constellations, the entire cosmos, all of it, is a projection or an outcome of a deeper non-material reality that exists beyond space and time. That reality is like a thought or a program. Kabbalists refer to it as the thought of creation. And that thought or program holds in it all of the possible states of existence, including what we refer to as the physical world or the material reality. And so the program, essentially the, the thought of creation, describes a relationship between two components. These components are, let me just make sure you see it. These components are referred to in Kabbalah as light and kli. Light and kli, or light and vessel. Kli simply means vessel. And in Hebrew, that is the word. And the light, um, we're not talking about any kind of physical light or even a light in the sense of some uh, insight that you have about something. We're talking about a force that is of complete bestowal, a giving force, a force of or a quality of complete unconditional bestowal. We refer to it simply as the will to bestow. And its counterpart is the vessel, the kli. And its quality is a receiving force, a quality of complete reception, or in short, the will to receive. And so the goal of this thought of creation, the goal of the program, is to develop the vessel the, the desire to receive, the will to receive, to develop it so that it is capable of receiving all of the light into itself and achieving complete unity with it. That state, that final state, that end goal is what Kabbalists refer to as complete equivalence of form. So the vessel achieves some level of similarity resemblance to the light and becomes completely filled by the light. Now, the Zohar, uh, the seminal book of Kabbalah, written uh, a little less than 2,000 years ago, breaks down this program of creation, the thought of creation, into three states of the relationship between the light and the kli, or the light and the vessel. So let's dive into that. So this thought of creation tells us about three states of relationship between the light and the vessel. In the first state, the light entirely fills the vessel. So the vessel is full of light. However, the vessel is still unconscious. It has no independent, active sensation, sentience, feeling of itself, and the light that fills it. So you can compare it as an example uh, to an embryo in a womb. So even though it's there and it's completely enveloped by some entity that takes care of it and gives it all that it needs and takes away what it doesn't need and envelops it with love, you could say, Yet, who feels it? We were all there. We were all in, uh, embryos in a womb at some point. You don't remember, though, do you? We don't remember because there was no conscious being there to remember it. So the vessel has to become conscious. And in order to become conscious, similar to an embryo, it has to leave the womb. 
It has to come out of the womb, so to speak. And that happens by way of a gradual descent. So through 125 steps, the vessel gradually comes out of the womb. Or in other words, the relationship between the light and the vessel is gradually reduced more and more and more, 125 degrees. In each degree, there is a greater reduction of the relationship between the light and the vessel until at the very end, at the very last degree, the last spark of light, if you will, penetrates the last degree of the Kli, of the will to receive, and this creates within the will to receive a level of complete concealment of the light, a level of perception that we refer to as the material world. So this is the point where the, the perception of the material world within time and space begins. And that's why we, with our scientists, from within the experience of time and space, we identify through uh, microwave cosmic background radiation and so on, we identify that there probably is a beginning to our universe. And that beginning, we identify it as something that seems to have happened 13.8 billion years ago. We call it the Big Bang. And we understand that all matter and all energy and all of time in this world came from that point. But we don't know exactly uh, what caused it. And we obviously can't say for sure. But the reason we identify it like that, uh, Kabbalists explain, is because that's the point where the very last degree of light entered the very last degree of the Kli, and that is the kind of perception that it creates within the Kli, a perception of a material world within time and space. And so these two, the light and the Kli, are still the basis and the foundation for everything that happens and everything that we see in our reality. That's why throughout the development of the material world, throughout the development of the still and the vegetative and the animate and the human level, what we see is two opposite forces running through this whole development, whether it's plus and minus or protons and electrons, these two opposite forces can appear in physical processes, in chemical reactions, in biological processes. They may appear as light and darkness, ebb and flow, male and female, contraction and expansion, inhale and exhale, uh, our, how our muscles move. Everything that is taking place in our material world can be defined by these two opposite forces. Because ultimately, behind this material reality, there are these two components and the relationship between them. And so from that point where the material world begins, what actually is happening behind the scenes is that these two components, the light and the Kli, are beginning to rebuild their relationship from the bottom up. So if we had a descent from top down, from above downwards, where the relationship between them was reduced and reduced and reduced, 125 degrees, from this point on, from this point that we can refer to as the Big Bang, onwards, throughout the entire material development and beyond, the light and the Kli are rebuilding their relationship from the ground up, so to speak until they climb through 125 degrees once again, the same degrees through which they went down, that relationship builds itself more and more until we come to the third and final state of the thought of creation. And in that state, once again, the light fills the Kli completely 
fills the vessel completely but there's a big difference and the difference is that this time the vessel is completely conscious of both itself and the light that fulfills it and so we we it's it's not that natural for us to to look at these states and understand them correctly if i'm being totally honest because whatever we do we have an instinct to think about it within the time within the framework of space and time or at least time right we see the first state and the second state the third state we say okay they happen one after the other so they must happen one before and after meaning there's a time between them but time only exists within this level of perception and so from the perspective of the thought of creation all of these states are included the third state of creation already includes the first state and the second state and the thought of creation is one single thought a single program that includes and holds all of the states and permutations of the light and the clea inside of it all right so after that introduction now we can answer the question what about spiritual genes then? Where are and what are spiritual genes? So, spiritual genes come from here. From the descent of the vessel and the, the light, from the first state of creation, the first th state in the thought of creation, to the, uh, um, to the complete descent, 125 degrees, from all of this descent from above downwards, all of the information about all the states that the Kli, the vessel, went through with the light through 125 degrees, all of that is encoded. Let's draw it like a, like a spiral of information. So imagine this is the same ladder, in fact, that we drew as an arrow from top down so now I'm drawing it more like a like a spiral I hope that's uh, I hope that makes sense and the name of this in Kabbalah is Reshimo and Reshimo um, Reshimo means it comes from the word in Hebrew it comes from the word Rishum which means documentation or Roshem Hitrashmut, which means impression, and in fact, both of these are correct. Reshimo is both the impression that's left in the vessel, uh, or, or the information about the impression that was left in the vessel from those states where it was in contact with the light, 125 degrees, 125 states altogether. So we call this Reshimo. Um, and in English, we sometimes call it records or recollections. And essentially, it's recollections from all of this, from 125 degrees. So this information created based on the descent from above downwards is now encoded into the will to receive, into the vessel. And this information now determines everything that we see in the vessel starting from the big bang through the entire development of the material world the still the vegetative the animate and the human and all the way up through 125 degrees once again back to the initial state so all of that is included inside what we call reshimo or in other words the spiritual gene all right so um let's let's read uh let's read a quote from uh, my teacher Kabbalist dr michael eitman uh, about this in relation to the spiritual we carry within us reshimot reshimot is plural for reshimot reshimot is like the general name to refer to that spiritual gene 
that was encoded into the will to receive. Reshimot in plural means that we, we can look at it as many lines of code, right? Or like uh, Kabbalist Dr. Lightman says here, informational genes. So we carry within us these informational genes. When we enter the spiritual reality, we arrive in a world we were already in. Take a moment to, to digest that. Meaning, entering spirituality or revealing spirituality or uncovering, unlocking our spiritual perception is a matter of discovering states that are already encoded into us. So let's, let's read this second paragraph again. When we enter the spiritual reality, we arrive in a world we were already in and from which we have recollections, information, emotions, impressions. We only have to awaken them within us. Uh, this is, again, something that uh, my teacher said in one of the lessons. This was actually a long time ago. Um, if you have questions, this is a great time to throw them into the chat. In, in just a second, I will be happy to look at, uh, to look at what you, you, you uh, guys and gals come up with. And uh, we'll be happy to take some questions before we move forward. So, so what, what's important for us to understand here? The Reshimot includes all of the states from above downwards, right? In Kabbalah, we call this part of the thought of creation from above downwards and this part from below upwards. Makes sense. But really, there's no up or down in a physical sense. It's just a, it's just a, a, a graphical way of describing the quality of these states. So what's included in the Reshimot is information in the spiritual gene, right? There's information about all the various relationship, relationships between the light and the Kli, the light and the vessel. And it's already encoded into the vessel. And as the, you could say from the beginning of the Big Bang, what, what begins to happen is the realization or the implementation, the playing out of these reshimot, of these spiritual genes, from potential to actual. So you can think about it like a computer program that has been fully coded, the code is there in full, and now it begins to play itself out. You know, there's an interesting uh, phenomenon where uh, people who begin to study Kabbalah sometimes feel like, in some way, they kind of already know what they're hearing about. They kind of already relate to... Uh, to what they're learning in a way that they find it within themselves. If you're feeling that, and I hope you do, this is exactly because of these spiritual genes, meaning what happens is, just like we heard from uh, Dr. Lightman a moment ago, right? We arrive in a world we were already in, and from that world, we already have recollections, emotions, information, impressions. We only have to awaken them within us. Now you can see me better. You can see the quote better. We only have to awaken them within us. And this is really a big thing that, that happens to a person when they begin to study the wisdom of Kabbalah. All right. So at this point, uh, let's check if you... If you uh, have some questions, and uh, let's see. All right. So, Mark um, Mark Terrell, is that quote from a particular book by Mr. Lightman? Um, actually, the, that quote specifically comes from one of the daily lessons. Um, Debbie. Hey, Debbie. Is the Shimon equivalent to what some call the Akashic Records, the total knowledge of all things? I don't know what is the Akashic Records. I, am, I understand that you're probably referring to something from another, some other tradition, some other wisdom. Uh, I'm not familiar with that term, so I really can't say whether it is uh, similar or not. Um, but 
what we're talking about is the will to receive, which is the only thing that was created, and all of the information about the development of the will to receive that was encoded into it. That's what we're talking about. So uh, it, it will also be a mistake to try to immediately relate it to something of this world. Again, I don't know what is the, that term, those records that you mentioned. I don't know if that's what it means, but I'm just saying for everyone else as well to not get confused. The way we experience uh, our life in this world, um, we'll talk about it later. And you'll see, we will try to, to show exactly how these reshimot, the spiritual genes, produce or relate to or correspond with the experience that we have within time and space. Because remember, the reshimot, the spiritual genes, they come from beyond space-time or time and space. Okay, uh, here's another here's another question. This one is um, from government is middle management. All right, uh, where does the will to bestow or receive emanate? The source of this conscious will. Why do some have it and some not? Okay, so the the will to receive is a uh, the, the progenitor or the creator of the will to receive is the will to bestow. However, there's a very important statement in Kabbalah, which is there's no light without a kli, which means we can never say anything about the light because we never actually perceive the light directly. Everything that Kabbalists tell us about what we call the light or the will to bestow comes from within the will to receive, which is what we are, which is what we have, which is our vessel of perception, the vessel that holds all our experiences and our entire perception of reality. When we research our will to receive in a certain way, we get to a certain level where we identify the imprints or the signatures of the light that created it. And based on that, Kabbalists uh, um, document their entire wisdom. So Kabbalah is a very empirical wisdom. It's only based on direct empirical observation. And even when we say words like the light or creator, uh, you can say God if you want, the, we are always referring to what a person discovers within their vessel, within the will to receive. Even the fact that, that we are a will to receive comes from finding that, uh, that discernment within ourselves. Okay, so that, that's an, an important distinction and I hope this, uh, this answers your, your question. Um, I think let's take maybe one more and um, and then we'll go deeper. All right, ready for that? We have more to come, and it's and it's gonna get. We're gonna go down down the wormhole. Uh, so one last question before that. Uh, Fibo, I hope I'm pronouncing your nickname the way you wanted. Uh, where do I have to start when I want to start studying Kabbalah? Okay, great question. Uh, first of all, here on this channel. But uh, beyond that, if you want to study Kabbalah properly in an organized manner, step by step, with all the guidance you need, and not less important, a supportive community of people who study with you and help you advance, that's what CobU is for. CobUConnect.com is the website for CobU. CobU is our education center dedicated to teaching the authentic wisdom of Kabbalah. It'll take you step by step exactly. Uh, the way you you need if you want to go deeper and deeper into the wisdom of Kabbalah and really what understand it properly. So I highly recommend it if you're interested. And uh, at the end of this presentation, stick around to the end and I'll say a few more details about Kabyu, I promise. And um, uh, in any case, you're going to find a link in the chat or in the description below this video that can take you to a uh, to a free course on Cobb U that you can go ahead and, uh, and uh, check out. 
So let's go deeper. Keep sending question, uh, question, your questions, friends, and we'll get to more questions later. All right. So if we hopefully have a basic understanding of what Reshimot, what the spiritual genes are, the next question would be, how does the Reshimot, the spiritual gene, how does it correspond with what we are familiar with in our world that we refer to as evolution, the process of evolution by natural selection and so on. So let's, let's put this question into, into context. When we look around, when we look at the world around us, we can see millions of species right? They say, I believe, that there's 8.7 million, but it's actually a very difficult, complicated question because it depends. Are you counting bacteria? Yes, no. If you do, you might even get to a trillion species. So there's all kinds of estimations, but the bottom line is it's a lot. When you look around at nature, you see many, many kinds of species and not even just biological uh, species like plants and animals, all the flora and fauna of Earth, you also see uh, the still level, right? There is, there is uh, uh, an unbelievable amount of still matter in the universe as far as we can tell. So there's still, there's vegetative, there's animals, and then there's also people which are a kind of animals that we identify as similar to ourselves, and we see all of that richness, all of that diversity around us. The rocks, the minerals, the plants, the animals, the people, the constellations, everything. But when we talk about evolution from the perspective of the wisdom of Kabbalah, we are only talking about one developing entity. One entity is evolving here behind the scenes. So even though to us it looks as, as though it's many different kinds of species, infinite amount of diversity, there's actually one entity behind it that we refer to as the will to receive, the kli, the vessel. That's the one entity that is developing. Here's a quick uh, famous quote from Kabbalist Yehuda Ashlag, the greatest Kabbalist of the previous century that tells us exactly that the will to receive is the whole substance of creation from beginning to end thus all the created beings all their innumerable instances and conducts that have appeared and will appear are but measures and various values of the will to receive so behind all those different forms of life that we're looking at four levels of life, ultimately, still vegetative, animate, and human, we're looking at four frequencies or levels of the same substance. Not a material substance, don't be confused by the word substance, rather think about it like a, a, like a field, a quality, a quality of reception, a quality of absorption. That's the vessel that was created the one substance that was created, and it has various degrees and, and facets and frequencies and values, measures, however you want to call it, of the same substance, of the same field. And everything that is that we consider to be evolving is actually an appearance of this will to receive. So, the Reshimot, right the spiritual gene that we talked about guides, it holds all of the information that guides the development of the will to receive. And so we know, for example, from this information that the will to receive has to develop through four major levels, four main degrees of development. This comes from a very fundamental, foundational process in the wisdom of Kabbalah called the four phases of direct light. It's actually the process by which the light created the, the vessel in four big steps. That's why it always evolves in the same pattern, like a fractal. 
And that's why we see still vegetative, animate, and human in the material world as well. By the way, the, the Ari, the huge Kabbalist that uh, wrote the, the book The Tree of Life, seminal book in the Wisdom of Kabbalah, um, he writes there in the book Tree of Life that the ape, for instance, the monkey or the ape, is the intermediate degree of development between the animal and the human. And the Ari, to remind you, lived about 300 years before Darwin even existed. So how is that even possible? How is it possible that Kabbalists, uh, or you could take writings of the Zohar that talk about constellations and their structure, or uh, other details in the study of the Ten Sfirot the, that Bar Sulam uh, wrote as an interpretation to the Book of Life, that talk about the stages of growth, of conception and birth and growth of of an embryo that develops into a um, that develops and grows and so forth. Where do they bring all of that information from? And there's a lot more. They're not writing about this world at all. They're writing about states of development of the will to receive that are encoded into the Rishimo. Now it just so happens that because the Rishimo manifests in our material perception as well, we see branches of these, of the spiritual information, outcomes, replicas, reflections of the spiritual information. And that's why in general, Kabbalists have a picture of the development of the will to receive. They don't have the biological language in specifically or the physics language specifically but they have the general uh, stages of development that the will to receive needs to go through and of course they correspond with everything we find in the natural sciences and so evolution from the perspective of Kabbalah is not a process of the creation of new organisms by chance, that suddenly somehow come together and, and create life. Evolution is the unfolding of pre-existing information. So, just like, you, you know how there are these, uh, sorry, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I should have found one beforehand and, and put it here, would make it more visual, but you know how there are these, um, um, uh, like snapshots of the embryonic development, uh, how the baby develops in the womb, the fetus, I should say, uh, and how we can really map the development of all those nine months of pregnancy. So in a similar way, all of the states of development of the will to receive already exist in potential. We know about them from the spiritual reality we can access them and discover them uh, and write about them as Kabbalists, but they unfold before us inside our experience in space and time. So when we look, for example, at atoms and molecules and cells that come together and create the basic of the basic units of life and then they create organs and organ systems that come together we're not looking at uh, um, at random creations somehow combining randomly to create life we're looking at permutations of all the different aspects and details of the will to receive that already exist in the Rishimo, in the spiritual gene. And we are, are uh, uh, experiencing them as what we think of as a fluid evolution within space and time. So one important question to, to ask about this is, and let's go back to the drawing here, why then do we see, this is, uh, one second, yeah. Why then do we see in our uh, in our world that the matter seems to develop from still to vegetative to animate to human? Why do we see this very obvious growth of complexity and complexity of emotion, complexity of intelligence? 
why is it like that? Why do we, why is evolution, why, if evolution is just about survive and reproduce, which is the current understanding of evolutionary scientists, then why do we see growth? Why do we see increasing intelligence, increasing complexity, all the way to the human? The human brain, for instance, is the most complicated uh, um, uh, biological thing in the entire universe as far as we know. So why did it evolve like that? Because the will to receive, again, was created in this process of four levels, still vegetative, animate, and human. Each of these levels represents a higher, more qualitative level of the will to receive. And the way it unfolds in what we call material evolution within time and space is through these levels, exactly. So we're seeing through the still vegetative, animate, and human, we're seeing the unfolding uh, states of development of the will to receive. And the same four stages, still vegetative, animate, and human, or you can just say one, two, three, four, if you want. Um, there's also a root level, by the way. There's always a root level. We call it zero. Zero, one, two, three, four. So it's actually five. Um, but because the, the, the zero level or the root level is, is just the initial uh, creation of the will to receive on each level, then uh, we don't count it. Anyway, that's for, for more advanced students that, that might make put some things in order. Uh, if you didn't catch that, don't worry about it. Um, so what's important for us is to understand that behind the scenes, the will to receive is gradually unfolding. A higher, more qualitative level of the will to receive is unfolding. All right, so uh, let's maybe do a quick stop here and see if you have more questions, and then we'll keep going uh, to an even trippier place <laughs> with this. All right, um, I see um, there we go. Tina, uh, Tina Kurovila, I hope I pronouncing it correctly, is Rishimo, what the yogis call Kundalini, the coiled serpent in India. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm familiar a little bit with, with these terms, not uh, as you know, well enough to, to, to tell you exactly what they mean. I can tell you with a high degree of certainty, though, that it's probably not what, uh, what we're talking about here. Uh, just because, just from understanding the basic framework, of, of yoga and what it is, and understanding very well what Kabbalists are talking about. So, uh, so no. Um, Maya wants to know, how do we know when we are ready to receive the light, the Kli is ready to receive the light, do we first have to go through the 125 degrees on our way up to the higher worlds? Okay, so you're already talking about the spiritual work the spiritual development of the person. So in our spiritual work, we begin from a, we start this work from a very um, minuscule desire within us that we refer to in Kabbalah as the point in our heart. It's, it's, a, it's an allegorical way of saying it's very small and unknown uh, layer of desire within our heart, which which represents all of our other desires for food and sex and family and honor and money, honor, honor, power, knowledge. So among all of these desires that are very clear to us, there is a point, another desire that we that is not exactly clear to us. That's where we start our spiritual journey. When we learn how to um, kind of isolate this desire folk, so we can focus on it, study it, and unlock it, that's where the spiritual reshimot, the spiritual genes that, that belong to the development of this desire, that's where they unfold. It doesn't happen uh, in your five physical senses. Uh, it happens internally 
in your mind and heart and your emotion and understanding. And that point in the heart gradually unfolds exactly because it has the it is driven by the spiritual gene. So every state of development of that point in the heart is a state where you come uh, in contact with the light in one way or another. The whole question is whether it's still concealed from you or you're already becoming somewhat conscious of it. And, uh, and that takes some effort and work. We call it inner work in the wisdom of Kabbalah because it's all inside. It has nothing to do with rituals or, or yoga poses or whatever it is that you do with your body. It has no uh, connection with that. It is the development of your desire to become conscious of your relationship with the light. And when that spiritual gene kicks in, that's where spiritual development begins. And that's where you can actually begin to feel your relationship with the light. And that's where the guidance of Kabbalists become, becomes very relevant for you and very much like a, um, like a user manual. You, um, you begin to, to work with these instructions internally and try to find those discernments that they're talking about. And all of that process is what we call the gradual discovery of your relationship with the light that created you, with the light that operates you. The, the light essentially is expressed through those reshimot. That's through the spiritual genes. That's how you discover it. Nothing comes from outside or in a physical way or anything of that sort. It's all a process of self-discovery, uh, a journey, an inner journey of revelation. Um, all right, so uh, let's go to um, let's go to um, let's go deeper to another another thing here. All right, so okay. The um, the next thing I I wanted to uh, to bring up is, and it, it's something that uh, there was a question about it a little earlier. So I can't remember who asked, but I think that will help. So the next point is this. Um, wait, there we go. How does the Reshimo, the spiritual gene, how does it uh, uh, relate to our experience within space and time? Right? This is the thing that's not, not exactly clear. And of course it isn't um, because it's hidden from us. That relationship is hidden from us. So, but we're going to try to put it into some sort of framework so that we can have some sort of structure in our in our mind to understand how that works. So the Reshimo comes from beyond space-time, right? The Reshimo comes from here, from the descent from above downwards. The moment where time and space begin, uh, that's what we mean by space-time. By the way, the, the term space-time, I'm using it because since Einstein, space and time are actually, he unified these concepts into the same thing. He showed that space depends on time and time depends on space. But essentially, we're talking about our physical reality, three dimensions of space and one dimension of time. That's how we perceive our existence, right? Within a reality of space and time. So the Reshimot comes from before, so to speak, it comes from beyond space-time, then how does it create an experience inside space-time? So now I hope the question is sits well in, in your head, okay? Let's read from uh, my teacher, Kabbalist Dr. Lightman. Let's read about it from, from his quote. Planet Earth, as well as all of outer space, don't actually exist in and of themselves. Rather, this is how we imagine our state of development inside the will to receive. In other words, the world is a reflection of our inner state. The spiritual root of time is the Reshimo. That is, 
informational records created within us after the shattering. That's something we need to understand what it is, but let's keep reading. We were initially a single vessel which was shattered, and bit by bit we are reassembling into a single vessel. The constant assembling of the shattered pieces gives us the sense of time. But in fact, it isn't time. It is our changing states. The concept of time means that I feel myself in a certain way and then I feel different. The delta, the difference, is what we call time. But time doesn't exist. It's a subjective measurement. So, let, let's try to, uh, to understand it. Here's a little diagram that I hope will help. <laughs> I'm saying I hope because it, it, it takes a while to, to get used to these ideas and, and kind of put them in, the, in a correct form inside of you. But look, essentially this is the process. We have information. Information is... Uh, there we go. Yes. So we have information. Information is the Rishimon that we talked about. All of the information about the light and the cleave from above downwards encoded into the vessel. That information holds all the states of development of the will to receive, right? The will to receive, the cleave or the desire to receive, same thing. And again, it always has four levels, actually five, zero, one, two, three, four, as we mentioned. In all of its levels, all those five levels that it's built from, it is expressing a certain state of development, uh, line of code after line of code. Okay, so we have a program, that's the information. The program determines the state of development of the will to receive in each state. And the state of development means that the will to receive undergoes a certain calibration. It changes its form gradually. Remember the thought of creation? Remember this? Remember the goal of all of this thought of creation? The program of creation or the thought of creation, the goal of it, Remember what is it? The goal is to bring the vessel to complete equivalence of form with the light that created it. That's the thought of creation. That means that from this point, from the Big Bang onwards, everything that's happening in our world and everything that's happening in the spiritual world from bottom up, all of these are gradual calibrations, permutations, changes in the will to receive's development becoming more and more and more capable, qualified, ready for its connection, its conscious connection with the light. Gradual equivalence of form is built into those series of states. What the series of states in the Rishimo express is a gradual increasing equivalence of form. All right? So in every state, there's a certain calibration that the will to receive has to go through. There's a, we call them in Kabbalah, uh, sometimes calibrations, most of the time we call them corrections. The will to receive is going through states of correction, one after the other. And they're all encoded into the Rashimo, lines of code. Each line presents the will to receive with a new calibration that it needs to go through, a new correction that it needs to go through. And that means for us that our emotions, our, our, uh, our view of the world, our, um, our feeling of the world before the world, right? Our, our emotions need to undergo a certain shift a certain correction, a certain adaptation. Then we imagine that emotional calibration, we imagine it, we interpret it, we translate it 
into an experience that we identify as time and space. I understand that's a little bit... Okay, here's an example. So uh, you, you ever had that situation when you're dreaming and... Um, um, and there's there could be a situation where even let's say a um, uh, a police car is chasing you. Let's say you did something wrong in the dream. I don't know what it was, but you're a criminal in in your dream. Something bad happened, and now there's this this police car that's chasing you, and the siren keeps coming back, and you're trying to evade it. You're trying to to get away from it, and it keeps coming back. And then you, you, you wake up and you realize it's your alarm clock. Ever happened to you? Something like that? So outside of the dream, there is an alarm clock that's just ticking, that's just uh, ringing, right? Inside the dream, you created a whole, um, a whole scenario and a whole scene that and inside the dream you feel it like yourself and other characters and a whole reality within three dimensions of time of space and one dimension of time things are happening and so on but really outside of your dream there's just this alarm clock that is ringing and so in in some form like that uh, i haven't used this example for no reason kabbalists call our world an imaginary world they call they they refer to this the process of spiritual awakening as waking up from a dream they say we were as dreamers when we uh talk about spiritual awakening so that is what happens in our experience within space and time we are producing we essentially are the authors of this space-time experience but it's not complete authorship because we are doing it, creating this picture of reality based on pre-existing information that requires our emotional calibration to happen. That emotional calibration, by the way, is also where there is some latitude, some area where we can actually influence the calibration participate with the calibration with this correction that's taking place and that's what we call choice or free will in kabbalah that's a huge other topic and i'm not going to get into it now but because there's this element of choice it it determines how our space-time experience meaning our experience in this world will um will take shape so, and that's a very serious thing. This could be the difference between uh, people going to war with each other versus not going to war. This could be the difference between our world plunging into a crisis or, uh, or not. So there's a lot to be said about uh, our choice in, in terms of um, these reshimot, but uh, our time is almost up, so <laughs> we can't get into this now. Uh, what I will do is take maybe uh, two or three questions. Um, actually, our time is is very close to to being over, so I'll I'll take one one or two questions. Um, so, uh, Said Said Sackling Abbas Sakalin Abbas. I hope I pronounce okay. What is emotional calibration? Okay, so the emotional calibration that I was referring to. Um, maybe I already answered it, but I'll, I'll say it again, is this. We are a will to receive. We were built this way. It's not good. It's not bad. It's what it is. Our nature is a nature of absorption. We perceive everything in reality through the quality of receiving. What happens throughout the process of the thought of creation is that the will to receive is discovering itself on the one hand how egoistic it is how aimed at itself it is how much its nature is opposite to the nature that created it the nature of the light and on the other hand we also the, the will to receive also discovers how much it wants to resemble 
the nature of the light. And that is called changing its form in the wisdom of Kabbalah, achieving equivalence of form. We never stop enjoying. We never stop receiving. Our will to receive is designed to be completely filled with pleasure, filled by the light that created it. But it is designed to get there by equivalence of form, by becoming similar to the light. So the calibration, the emotional calibration that's happening to us as a result of this process of the thought of creation is that we're gradually discovering how opposite we are to the light and on the other hand, how much we want to be similar to the light. That discovery, that, that, that calibration of the will to receive is what I'm talking about. I hope that that helps. Um, Yetzi, this will be Yetzi. You know what? You are uh, you're a regular here, and this is our last question. So I'm going to take Mark. Um, why do we sometimes perceive time passing slowly and sometimes fast? Okay, that's a great question. Um, we 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 definitely do. First of all, if you're bored and you got nothing to do, and there's nothing interesting on your phone, and you're standing in line for something, time extends. The sense of time feels like it's never ending, right? If you're having fun, you don't notice it, and, and a few hours can, can, can go by, and you were, I don't know, playing a video game, whatever it is you're, you find uh, enjoying, uh, joyful. Um, right. This is exactly because this phenomenon, even inside our space and time experience, this phenomenon exists because time, the sense of time, is a function of the distance between desire and pleasure. So essentially, when the light fills the Kli, when there's pleasure in the Kli, there's no sense of time. That's the, the final state of creation, the third state, if we go back to the drawing from before, right? That's a state of complete fulfillment and therefore a state where there is no time whatsoever. When we feel away from the pleasure, we feel our lack, our deficiency, and how far it is from, we feel far from the pleasure that we, we want to receive, that gives us a sensation of a long time. So, um, Again, but this is just another aspect of this. Uh, if we had more time, there's definitely more to talk about it. There is also past, present, and future. It's a very interesting, interesting situation we're in. We we always have past, present, and future, but what is it really? Um, no time to get into more of this right now. We do have in a in a minute or two. Uh, I'm going to have an, a, a Zoom session with the CobU students. So um, so we're going to get there uh, in just a minute. And uh, definitely there's, there's room to ask questions there. So if you're uh, part of CobU, if you're a CobU member, then definitely I'll be on Zoom with you in a minute or two. And we can continue to our uh, weekly Q&A. Uh, and we can definitely delve into this more or any other general questions you're interested in. So, uh, this would be a good moment to uh, let you all know about something very cool that's happening very, very soon. So, um, there is a CobU retreat that's taking place very soon, September the 9th through 11. Uh, it, it's, it's a retreat. It's a three-day event. It's a three days of immersion where you can really experience what it's like to live and practice the wisdom of Kabbalah together with like-minded people in a very, um, very condensed kind of setting that honestly, you can't be in such a situation and not experience spiritual growth. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's, it really is a, um, a, a, a condition that enables you to move away from the, the perception of the material world, even if it's just for three days, and really delve into a completely different perception of reality. And when you do it with other people, it is powerful. It is very powerful. 
Uh, so you can attend in person. This will happen in the Catskill Mountains in New York. Uh, you can also attend virtually. Go to retreat.kabbalah.info to get all the details and get your tickets. Um, you'll find also a link, I believe, in the chat or in the yeah in the chat probably. And those of you who asked about CobU, I promised I will say a word about that. So here it is. CobU uh, membership. Again, CobU is our education center dedicated to teaching the authentic wisdom of Kabbalah. In a CobU membership, you get access to all kinds of courses, first of all topic-based courses. So there's courses on all kinds of topics, starting from this three-arrow model that we talked about uh, this lesson. There's a course specifically on that. Uh, the Book of Zohar that we mentioned, there's a course specifically on that and others. And then there's also structured learning paths. So if you're like the person who asked earlier, uh, who was it? Can't, can't remember the name. But someone asked specifically and, uh, and answered specifically. So, yes, there's a structured learning path in CabU as well, which means that you can go from A to Z, from, from step one uh, and further, and study the wisdom of Kabbalah in a very structured manner. Uh, there's also weekly live events, like the CabU session that we're going to have on Zoom with the CabU students in a minute from now. And um, uh, we have student forums there. There's also materials on the go, so every kind of lesson or um, uh, meeting is always recorded. Uh, every any kind of text from from the courses is always downloadable. You have MP3s, MP4 text. If you're commuting, if you're jogging, you can always take it with you as well and have that experience. So all of that is included in a CubU membership. Uh, we are a nonprofit organization. Every dollar that comes in goes back into production of more content and more courses. And so the uh, the membership costs $19 per month. That's it. If you subscribe for an annual membership, then it actually costs even about half of it, something like, a little less than $10 a month. So again, go to kabuconnect.com or there's a link, I think, directly to uh, uh, in the chat or and in the description. You can check it out there. Uh, there's, al there's also a free course uh, and there's a free 14-day uh, trial. So you can you really have everything you need. If you want to check it out, if you have the desire for it, if you feel that Kabbalah is for you, there's really absolutely no reason not to go ahead and check it out um, and, and take advantage of the free course or the free trial and just see if that works for you. All right, so uh, that will be it for us today. Thank you, everyone, for, for coming, for being here, for posting great questions. Uh, definitely, there's more to delve into when it comes to spiritual genes, when it comes to this topic, and really any topic in the wisdom of Kabbalah becomes endless. Uh, so next week, there will be another instructor uh, who will go deep into another theme in the wisdom of Kabbalah. Uh, my name is Joseph, and I will go now to our CobU Zoom session. Uh, and if I'll see you there, then great. And if not, I wish you all the best. See you next time. This was Kabbalah Explained Simply. Bye-bye. <laughs>